Well, today's sermon does have a handout in your bulletin if you want to be able to follow along. I'm not going to make a lot of specific reference to that handout, um, but I am. Uh, but it does sort of go with uh, and follows pretty much along a latter part of the sermon where I start making some comparisons, so maybe helpful for you to think about later on. Um, this past week at the Creation Museum, a number of our church people were exposed to an idea that they hadn't really heard before, and I got several questions on. And that is the idea of uh, comparing Adam from Genesis 1 through 3 with Jesus, kind of like a first and second Adam. And, and several people said, what is that? I've never heard of that. What is, what is that all about? And then when I got home, I realized that I hadn't picked a sermon for this Sunday. And so since I'd answered some questions about it and was thinking about it, I decided to look at this idea of the two Adams. This idea comes from the work of Paul in Romans and also in 1 Corinthians. And Paul's doing what the, what the New Testament loves to do, which is to use the images that it has, mainly the Old Testament, to try to describe who Jesus is and what Jesus does. We saw that last week as I talked about the bronze serpent and the way Jesus talks about himself as the bronze serpent in the Gospel of John. Uh, I, I make reference often when we're in the Gospel of Matthew to how Jesus sets Matthew up, or Jesus up as the, uh, uh, the new Moses or the new David. And so here Paul does this with Adam. Now let's quickly remember the Adam story so that we can remember what, what Paul is, and realize what Paul is going to do with Adam. In the, in the book of Genesis, God created the world with his words. But there was, there was one part of creation where God got his hands dirty. Where God got a little dirt under his fingernails. And that is when he created humanity. He bent down into the dirt and formed Adam and, and breathed his spirit into them. That's going to be important to, to realize later that Adam is two parts. He's a body and a spirit. He's a body and a spirit. Now it's not good for Adam to be alone. So God makes a helper, a partner suitable for him. And the imagery is not that, that uh, women are less than men. But the image of, of being created from the rib of Adam means they're of the same flesh. means they're together. They're part of one. In fact, Genesis 1 is very clear that, that in God's image he created him. Male and female he created them. Meaning they're both created together and together have God's image. Adam and Eve are put into a garden with all kinds of trees. But there's one tree that they're not supposed to, to, to uh, eat from because then they will surely die. And Adam and Eve are set up to have dominion over the world, to rule it, to subdue it, to fill it. That's part of the image bearing that they have of God. Not that they look like God, but that they actually do the work of God in this world. They continue creating and ordering the way God did. And one day a serpent comes into the garden and starts to question them. Starts to really question God. Did God really say that you couldn't do that? Very often, temptation begins with the questioning of God's authority and God's intentions. God didn't really mean that. God doesn't really want you to do that. God didn't really say that. See, that's where temptation often starts. So Eve takes the fruit, then gives it to Adam, who is apparently standing right there. And so, uh, and so they're both culpable for the sin that gets this started. Sin is an archery term, meaning to miss the mark or to miss the bullseye. It's also talked about in the Bible as a trespass. Okay, and a trespass has a little different understanding. A trespass really means to rebel. Now, when you think of trespassing, you think of going where you're not supposed to because the sign told you not to. 
But that's a trespass exactly because you're rebelling. You saw the sign that said not to walk on this property and you did it anyway. You're trespassing. You're rebelling against where you should and shouldn't go. And then you follow the Genesis story along. Sin keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, and Adam and Eve don't die immediately, at least not in the physical sense. But there is a death of sorts because they are separated from God. Okay? In other words, their, their spirit and their body have to leave the, leave, the, uh, leave the garden. They realize that they're naked and they are separated from God. They hide from God. They have to stay a little bit away from God. And yes, true death does come where their spirit is divided from their body. It's important to note here that the name Adam in Hebrew, Adam, may not even originally have been a name. The word just means human, person. It's just the word for person. Okay, so, so Adam is not just a name. It's actually, Adam represents what it means to be human. He's the first representative of humanity. And since Adam, sin and trespasses have continued they're not just a label or a category. The text makes this really clear. It's something that we all struggle with. It's part of who we are. And it's, it, we're not just guilty because of Adam. We're guilty because we do it too. Nobody had to teach my kids to lie. They figured that out all on their own. You know, who, who wrote their name on the wall? Well, he did it. No, it's your name. I know who did it. Okay, kids know how to lie it's like part of see it's not just a category mistake it's part of who we are there's a corruption there's a rottenness that's in each of us and the problem is humanity can't fix this problem it's like those commercials i've fallen and i can't get up right i've fallen i'm in this state of falling and i can't get out of it myself so the question is how is god going to fix this problem so Paul uses this story of Adam in its fullest understanding when he writes his letter to the Romans. Now, Paul had never been to Rome. He did not start this church. This is one of the interesting letters because instead of, when we read Corinthians, Paul is writing back and forth. There's clearly been exchange before. He had started that church. He knew them. But in Rome, he didn't know them. So what he's trying to do in Romans is set up to go visit them later. And so what he does is it gives them a nice theology, kind of a deep understanding. And it's great because a lot of people study Romans because Romans is a, a, a pretty succinct, pretty clear, pretty developed systematic theology that we don't get in any of the other books. But how does Paul do this teaching? Well, Jesus was a master of stories called parables. Paul is a master of metaphors. He wants an image. He wants to say this is like this, so that when you compare the two, you start to understand what he's trying to get at. So when you read Paul, you've got to understand the metaphors he's using, and you, you better pay attention to him because a lot of times Paul doesn't give you one metaphor. He gives you like five metaphors in a row to try to figure out little pieces of this comparison. So, so now we are in Romans 5. I'm going to start in verse 12. I'm going to take a couple verses at a time and try to unpack the metaphor that Paul's going to use with this Adam's story on one hand and the Jesus story on the other. Okay, so so pay attention to that. And and I'm actually going to follow right down that handout that you have uh, from this point on. So you'll be able to make some of those comparisons that I make at the top there. So here we go. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
For, in, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Uh, yeah, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So let's pause there. We're going to take this in chunks. First of all, Paul does not talk about Eve here. I think it just doesn't fit his comparison. He's, he's going one Adam to another Adam, a first Adam to a second Adam. And uh, so he, he sort of uses Adam in that really old sense of he's the representative of humanity. His name just means the person, the human one. So Paul says here that the first Adam, the first Adam brought death and sin into the world. He gave in to temptation, and because of that, something in humanity and the whole world was broken. Paul even says specifically here, as he did in er, earlier in Romans, that all have sinned. He says earlier, the verse you may have heard before, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it, we, we can't blame Adam for all of this, because we did it too. But it did enter into the world through Adam. In other words, you and I are not guilty of trespass because of Adam. We're guilty because we continued it. We followed it. Paul even gives a little sidebar here about the law. The question is, how does somebody know that they sinned if there was no law to tell them that they sinned? Like, how can Adam sin when Moses hasn't been around to tell him what a sin is? But for Paul, the answer is, yeah, you, you can sin before Moses came. People were guilty and, and, and found death, both separation from God in their spirit and separation of their spirit from their body, even before the law began. So then what does, Paul, what does the law do in Paul's mind? Well, Paul will circle back to this question at the end, but the, the big idea here is that the law points out the problem. In other words, humanity was messed up way before Moses came along, but what Moses helped everybody realize is how messed up they were. Like, with the, the law helps show how in debt you are. So the sin necessitates the law. It demands that the law happens so that people know how bad it is. Then Paul calls Adam a type. Uh, this, uh, this doesn't mean like a, uh, like a part of or like a subunit of. Um, what, what the word typos in Greek, it means like the pattern, the model. So in other words, he's saying, now I'm going to show you how the Adam and the Jesus are compared. That Adam is a pattern that we can look at and see a typology of what Jesus is. So let me pick up in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass, uh, brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ the English is really having to work here because Paul uses 
really run on sentences. I mean, you, you understand, like, you're getting more sentences than Paul used. Paul uses this as, like, one big sentence. It's a little bit crazy to kind of follow. But here's the comparison. Jesus is the second Adam, whereas Adam is the first Adam. Okay? So we got a, a, a first or a, and then a last Adam. But they're different. Jesus does not give into temptation the way Adam does. Adam, has te- Adam gets tempted and he eats the apple. Jesus gets tempted and he doesn't eat the apple. He doesn't do what he's tempted to, to do. So Jesus lives the perfect life that Adam doesn't. And then Jesus dies even though Adam uh, deserved to die. Jesus doesn't deserve to die and he dies anyway. So where Adam is defined by a trespass or a rebellion, Jesus can offer a free gift. And Paul uses this phrase multiple times. Free gift. Like you can't pay for it. You never could pay for it. You can't earn it. You'll never pay for it later. All you got is a free gift. In fact, Paul says there's much more of a gift from Jesus. The way the grace is way bigger than the trespass. Because the punishment was just for one sin. But the grace, it has to be for a whole bunch of sins. Whereas sin and death abound under Adam, under the second Adam of Jesus, there's so much more grace because the grace has to cover way more than the original sin did because we've all been adding to the sin since then. The trespasses of the human one brought condemnation and judgment, but the ultimate human one in Jesus brings justification. No more accusing, no more judging, but humans can be seen as right with God. Death does not have the crown anymore. Jesus has the crown. Or what Paul actually says there, go back and read it again sometime, is that we will have the crown. That those who find this free gift of grace, they're going to have the reign in this world. Why? Because Adam was supposed to have the reign, the dominion of this world, and blew it. And so the promise is that, that in the end, humanity will be restored to its right place in taking care of the earth the way Adam and Eve were supposed to. Then the text continues. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So now Paul picks up on the not only the effects of the last Adam and the first Adam, but actually what got us here. In Adam, it's a trespass, a rebellion. But in Jesus, it's an act of righteousness. He doesn't rebel. He submits and goes to the cross. An act of rebellion versus an act of righteousness, leading to condemnation versus justification. Or then Paul says it another way. Adam's disobedience made a bunch of us sinners. But by Jesus' obedience, we're made righteous or right with God. So here is what Paul has set up. Adam messed up and all of humanity has been messing up ever since then. But Jesus got it right. And since then, humanity has an alternative, a free gift of grace and righteousness. Paul doesn't take a lot of energy to try to explain exactly how Jesus does this. He's just sort of shocked and in awe and trying to help us understand how amazing it is that we could own this free gift because we don't deserve it. 
certainly we could go to other parts of Romans and books of the Bible to, to fill this in, but I think for today, just be in awe of how this last Adam does these things for us, though we don't deserve it. In fact, here is where Paul goes back to this idea of the law. He says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through Jesus or, or through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is this becomes really important. Because Paul's trying to help the Romans understand why is there this Old Testament law? It is one of Paul's big questions. Why is there a law and why don't we have to follow it the same way they did now under Jesus? What he says is the purpose of the law was to increase the trespass, increase the sin. In other words, show us how bad we are. Once we realize how much we can't follow the law. It's, it's like finding out exactly how much debt you have right before the debt is forgiven. Okay? Or finding out how, uh, how big the punishment should be before you would get grace. Like, what, what should happen to me? Oh, well, I don't want that. Well, then it's really amazing <coughs> that I don't have to get that. That's what the law does for Jesus. So that when Paul can say we receive a free gift, we can understand the value of that gift. So that then when we get eternal life through Jesus Christ, we can call him Lord because we're just so grateful for what has happened. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, Paul takes this argument one step further. Paul's having a conversation that apparently the Corinthians were asking him some questions about the resurrection. And, okay, when we're resurrected, like, how does that work? Like, what kind of bodies will we have, you know? And uh, are we really going to come back in bodily form or will our just spirits come back? And this is what Paul picks, what Paul says. I'd encourage you to read all of chapter 15, but I'm just reading three verses. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul picks up on this really important idea that, that Adam is what? He's a spirit and a body. Okay, there's a physical part that Jesus made, that God made in the dirt, and there's also a spirit that God breathed into him. In Hebrew, literally both of those things combined make a soul. You're a soul because you have both of those things. And, and Paul is so adamant that since Adam was a body and a spirit, and death separated those two, so that now when you die, your spirit leaves your body, Paul is adamant that somehow, in some mysterious way that we can't understand, for the resurrection to be complete, for the second Adam to totally undo the work of the first Adam, your body also has to be a part of it. That in your resurrection, you actually have to have your body somehow made back together. And your spirit and your soul, your, your spirit and your body that were separated because of the fall of Adam have to come back together. Now that's about as far as Paul will take it because he doesn't know. He doesn't know what kind of body it was. But, he, but he, he does look at Jesus here and he says, look at Jesus. Jesus was recognizable. He could eat. He had a bodily resurrection. But it was also something special about Jesus. 
And so someday we're going to have bodies that won't be corrupted like those that are touched by sin. We're going to get out of the atom and we're going to be into the second atom. The last atom. See, that the undoing of the first atom. That's the work of Jesus. Whereas, um, whereas the first atom failed, the second atom fulfills. Whereas the, the first atom breaks things down, the, the second atom pulls it back together. Whereas the first atom uh, fails the law and necessitates that we have to have a law, Jesus fulfills the law and so gives a gift of life and righteousness that undoes the consequences of the first Adam. So that when we die and when we return, we get a renewed body and a repaired spirit because the undoing of Adam must be completed. Now, this may be a deep theological sermon, uh, but it's also very practical because I know a lot of Christians that when I look at their life, they're living a lot out of the first Adam and not a lot out of the second Adam. They're living out of the sin and the corruption and the judgment and the death of the first Adam, but, but they're, not, they're, they're not seeing their life as the free gift of righteousness that we find in Jesus Christ. They're not living. So, so the question is, what, what type of life are you living? What pattern of life are you living are you living out of the Adam side or are you living out of the Jesus side? Are you living out of the first Adam or the second Adam? The first Adam or the last Adam? Because when I look around this world, I can see the first Adam everywhere. Turn on the news, go on social media, talk to people around, call people about the, the destruction that they see in their life. It's not, easy, it's not hard to see. It's actually hard to miss the sin and the trespasses and the consequences of death in the world around us. But, but is that what your life is defined by? Are you living out of the first Adam? It's much harder to see Jesus. It's much harder to see how it could be and it should be in our world. It's much harder to live a life full of grace, a righteous life where we live in right relationship with God and with each other. It's much harder to share the free gift of grace with others, especially when we have trouble accepting it ourselves. So as you think about these two atoms, what atom does your life look like? What atom are you trying to be like? What atom show, shows the sway in your own life? May you be grateful for the free gift of grace you have in Christ. May you continue to study your Bible, think about Adam and all these other comparisons and realize just how forgiven and loved you are. And may you live into the righteousness that has been given to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.